Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode uh, 708. I'm trying to think if there were any kind of model numbers or anything we could, uh, nomenclature we could add to 708, but I couldn't honestly think of any. There might be some fishing equipment, but it's the wrong show for that, because this is actually a show to do with music technology, uh, to do with streaming, to do with uh, live production, to do with music production, to do with synthesizers, uh, drum machines, software, sampling, all of the technology, uh, or just you know, instruments to do with the uh, the business and the uh, activity of making music, whether it's professionally or amateurly, however you choose. So I want to say thank you and welcome to everybody. Uh, this will be about an hour show. About halfway through, you'll be hearing from our friends over at Isotope who have some news for you regarding their subscription service, as well as a discount with code we can offer you, which is actually very reasonable and is ongoing. And you get to see the new landing page. I want to say hello to all our friends in the YouTubes and in the uh, IRC and also in the Discord. I'm not sure if we're having the IRC posting to the to the YouTube today. It may or may not be. Uh, I'll have to uh, um, wait and see because it could be because uh, Dom's not here and he's got busy stuff to do. I know we've we've had a lot of his time recently, so I, I, I hope he's having fun. Maybe he's gone fishing. Who knows? Anyway, um, let's say hello and welcome to our friends, uh, our panelists. We'll start. Actually, usually I say going over to America but actually, Rich, it's Rich Hilton over there, and he's actually in uh, the UK, where he's, I guess, before, prior, or after a um, a chic gig. I don't know. What, what stage are you in production today? Uh, today, it's uh, lay around and wait for the next thing to happen day. Um, actually, today was buy a new Roly Seaboard day. Ooh. Oh, did it come out? I missed that. That's really annoying. I should have, I should have caught because I was thinking last night. You know what? I'm sure it was sometime around here, and it came out. Damn, I didn't. So, have you got the skinny on that? Perhaps you could fill us in because I, I sure as hell haven't. Well, it looks exactly like the last one, except the body of the thing appears to be more of a machine gray rather than black. The the keyboard and the controls all continue to represent as black, but the surround frame appears to be a bit gray as compared to the original. Um, and that's about as much as I know. That and the price are about everything I know about it. The price is larger right. than the previous one, and they're charging for the case now where they were giving it away at the first uh, go. So there you go. Ah, uh, there that's, it is. There, it would rise too. There we go. Oh, it's more expensive. That's disappointing. I thought maybe they yes, would have would fig figured out the. Uh, uh, mm, oh, that is disappointing. Well, I mean, but it's good to see it's there. Yeah, all right. I don't. Oh no, no, no. I don't want. I just want to have a look at the web page if that's okay. Right. Okay. Oh well. Okay. Well, thanks, Rich. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure we'll be putting some news about it. I should have uh, probably been on top of that. They announced it so far ahead of time that I'd forgotten about it. <laughs> So as relates to your question, um, we're here because last night we played this benefit concert for Ukraine in Birmingham. Yes. With a whole bunch of other British artists that was broadcast live on ITV, uh, presumably all over the world, and raised upwards of 13 million pounds. Wow. Well done. Wow. Well done. And we had the great privilege to close the show, which Ooh. I think is incredible for a band playing old music like we do um and was honored and thrilled and seemed to come off well and we have another gig nice. this coming weekend which is a private gig somewhere and uh that's why i'm here 
for now. I'll be oh, back this summer, fun. all summer. That's fantastic news, Rich. I'm really pleased. I, I, yeah, I knew, I, I'd forgotten that you were on, on that show, of course, because you've had a bit of a weird week, I'd imagine. But maybe we'll come back to that because um, I'm going to introduce Gaz as well. But thank you for the update and particularly the uh, the rolling news. <laughs> Even on tour, Rich is on top of it. Uh, and we've also got Mr. Gaz Williams, who's there in Bristol, a music technologist, bass player, live player. Um, are you a streamer? Are you streaming tonight, Gaz? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I plan to, 8 p.m um possibly with a guest uh so <laughs> um not entirely sure just yet but uh but yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> fine. <laughs> uh yeah um but yeah yeah uh wow i mean that's just, i just want to say that's amazing rich though um to take part in that and to raise such a, an enormous amount of money oh what did live aid make i mean god i mean that's that was uh Considering oh, that, that's good question. together, I guess that concert. Um, that's an amazing. That's an amazing thing. So yeah, congratulations for for that. Blimey! Thank you. Also, just music being still that vital thing that just uh, connects people and um, you know sending out the right messages. Yeah. Love. You know, <laughs> I will. I'll have to check it out because I definitely want to. Uh, want to see. I did see a photo of it this morning, uh, and it looked like a massive. I don't know how many people were actually in in person, but it looked like a heck of a lot. Was it NEC, Rich? It was uh, what is now known as Resorts World Arena at NEC. Oh wow! I can't keep up with all the kind of changes of of the uh, like the Staples Center is no longer the Staples Center. It's like Bitcoin or something. It's kind of bizarre. All these bizarre changes, and everybody can't remember what the what the venue's called anymore. Right? <laughs> well, there's a casino, a Resorts World casino, not surprisingly, next door. So apparently, they've either taken over an existing building, which is what it looks like to me, and remodeled it and made it their own, uh, amongst a giant number of giant buildings at the nec which we've played yeah. before yeah uh, yeah well I've, I've been go guys yeah just gonna say for years and years and years it's just been the nec hasn't it you know years so just to sort of yeah. switch gears and uh but that was the main the main the main that was one of the biggest gigs always in britain wasn't it the nec so um yeah i saw uh i've seen uh twice or no once i went to see uh one direction because my daughter was of the age and uh, we managed to get uh we had a friend who was working as a tm so we managed to get tickets uh and i've so i've seen them at the end it's a I, I, I think i talked about it on the podcast because i remember going there and i felt like really out of place it was me and jane we were there and then our two daughters who were well my daughter and a friend of ours's daughter they were about eight or nine and when you consider the average age of the children in the audience the <laughs> peak amount of like is like one 800 to 1k <laughs> fundamental of however many thousands of people screaming was excruciatingly uncomfortable it makes you that made the teeth yeah. made your teeth rattle it was i'd never experienced that level of mass hysteria in a kind of positive because it was very positive mass hysteria it was euphoria i suppose but it was so weird and such a weird sensation particularly because i was so very very far away from the target <laughs> audience <laughs> it was really bizarre but uh, yeah very very interesting um yes well okay well, sorry uh, yes i just want to show off I've seen in the NEC, yes, Rush and Steely Dan. So yeah, I just wanted to say that because those are three oh, of nice. my 
all time all time faves. <laughs> oh well, so, no, I, I think I don't think I've seen anybody else there. I I don't think uh, I think that was it. I mean, um, yeah, but good for you, guys. Very pleased to hear that. Right, let me just. Uh, we we should probably do a topic. I'm sure there's one. Oh, uh, before we go, I wanted to say um, check out this Soma Labs. Uh, rumble of ancient times review from midi era that's out today uh that's just come out so um yeah do check that out that's online at the moment uh right what's our next let's let's see what's the oh yeah well gaz you should know all about this because you sent in so Thorsten, can we have a few highlights of some of this amazing equipment here yeah we, there's a very complicated setup going on huge amounts of euro rack i can yeah. play as much of this as i like because it's ours <laughs> but this is uh gaz in uh bristol at the trinity with uh Thorsten. Cushioning. I don't know if I'll spell that name that right. I'm sure Gaz will. Uh, we had a rig tour. It was it was just fascinating. It's done really well, Gaz. Thank you so much for doing that. I mean, it was because you went and I and I saw that and I thought oh, I should have I should have organised that. I mean, I had COVID at the time, so I wouldn't have been able to go anyway, even if I had organised. But thank you. And I think Rich Olpin was uh, was on camera duties as well. So thank you for that. Yeah, and and he he organised Rich Olpin organised it as well. So yeah, so big thanks to him. Um, Thorsten, what a lovely, lovely man he is, really, and uh, fascinating. Uh, so yeah, and yeah, big thanks to him really for uh, for letting us have a look at his amazing setup. And um, I'm sure those features, kind of those little videos, kind of go into quite a lot of the detail. But um, I was fascinated, really. I mean, <clears throat> some people kind of questioning the use of the uh, or questioning the use of the. Um, the modular, um, but the, la the improvisation at the end that they do at every concert is largely modular driven. Um, and I just loved that aspect when he was explaining that about that. Um, cause I asked him, you know, are all the tracks pre, you know, backing tracks? And he said, well, I use them, use a few backing tracks of some, so, some drum things, but, um, what they do, though, is they always do a pure improvisation at every concert, and they try to, uh, they decide in the sound check a few things. They decide on the key, and they decide on the, on the, um, on the BPM, and often based on the actual acoustics and dimensions of the place that they're in. So really binding that pure improvisation to the, to the performance space. And I thought it was really lovely because that's a continuation of really important sort of aspects of Tangerine Dream. Because there's been a little bit of people, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, they've experienced this um, since obviously the passing of, of Edgar Froese, you know, in 2015, that people questioning the legitimacy of calling it Tangerine Dream when Thorsten, who's essentially the head honcho now, uh, he wasn't even born when I think they put the first album out or so, or few recordings, um, and that there's no original members in the band. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, coincidentally, the following week, I see, I'd i just been to see Gong, and Gong had a very similar situation. David Allen, the long-term band leader, he he sadly passed, but um, he, you know, he knew he was going to be dying. So he, uh, and very much like Edgar, handed over the reins of Gong. And it's almost this thing about that those bands are infused with a philosophy rather than mm. the individual, and to keep that, philosophical musical motion 
um, forward into the future, I think is personally, I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's saying the music is bigger than the individuals. And uh, Thorsten mentions in the interview that they, uh, with Tangerine Dream, regarding like the sequencing, that there's a lot of rules that make it Tangerine Dream. <laughs> For it to ah, be yes. Uh, I thought, oh, okay, very interesting. So I'm sure those are the closely guarded secrets, or maybe you can he's figure the, it out. He's the, yeah. So he's the guardian of the rules, I guess. Now, I mean, that's his kind of role. I did meet him in Berlin, actually. He came and said hello because um, um, he's a, a, a watcher or has been a watcher of Sonic State. So it was great to meet him. I think we met him at a, a nightclub or on the way to a nightclub, which I'm hoping to enjoy again. We didn't do any of that last time, but in May, maybe because I've had COVID, I, I feel kind of invincible. Maybe I'll catch something else. But you know, I feel like I might be able to. I've got a few weeks of, of kind of maybe time where I, I'm unlikely to get sick, so I could go and have a drink among people. We'll have to see. Uh, Rich, I, 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 we were talking previously in the show, uh, before the show, that I mean, I'm not really that familiar with with Tangerine Dream. It's crazy. I think it just because when it was really, bit, I think at the time they were massive. I was probably being weaned on kind of Jean Michel Jarre rather than Tangerine Dream. So that was my kind of early electronic music fix. So it's a different, you know, it was a different thing. So uh, I'm not familiar with the stuff so much. I feel kind of like I, sh I should have listened to their entire back catalogue before running the show, but I didn't get a chance. Well, in 1975, I was at Ithaca College and I met, Andrew Schlesinger, who some of you may know uh, for the first time, and it couldn't have been more than a week later that he played me the most recent two uh, Tangerine Dream albums, which remain my two favorite Tangerine Dream albums, which yeah. are Phaedra and Rubicon. Ah, yeah. And um, in 1977, we went together and saw the original, well, not the original trio, but the trio uh, with Chris Frank and Peter Bauman and uh it was mind-blowing and we immediately set out to try to create an environment for ourselves like that where we could use synthesizers in an improvisatory context and make ensemble pieces and he has a recording of our attempt that apparently he's threatening to release so we'll see if that happens. <laughs> but, um, it was incredible to sit over by peter bauman and watch him work that night it was memorable how brilliant he was how adept he was with the gear there was never any stumbling at all of course this was the days well no it wasn't really the days before backing tracks but they weren't using any or at least i couldn't imagine them to be using any it looked all like it was coming from those three guys and uh it was magical and wonderful so i get to this interview, and I quite enjoy, of course, watching Gaz and Thorsten enjoying each other and, and Thorsten's uh, energy and, and spirit about the way he wants to approach it. And I uh, yeah. endorse what Gaz said about creating a sort of a contextual school out of this thing and letting it continue past the lifetime of its original members. Uh, Chris Squire did the same thing with Billy Sherwood uh, before he passed away with respect to his position in Yes, for example. And, uh, yeah, it's a good thing. I, I'm happy to see all of this. And I listened to a little bit of their most recent recording before the show and thought it was pretty good. Excellent. How, how was the gig, Gaz? Was it, uh, was it, because uh, 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 the Trinity, I'm, I'm not sure, is the Trinity a good sounding venue or not? I can't remember. I've done sound there, but before it was refitted. Uh, I, it can be, and it certainly was that night. I thought it sounded great. Uh, really good, actually. Um, <laughs> 
really enjoyed the concert. It's quite long, you know, it's a long concert. So it was just to be stood there watching it, but there was really cool visuals going on as well. And, um, yeah, you know, they, they, they did a quite a broad range of material from throughout the whole catalogue. Um, but you know, the 170 albums catalogue, it's a lot of material. Yeah. That is a lot, isn't it? You know, and it had been present on my mind through the re-release of GTA V. I mentioned that in the little feature, but um, Grand Theft Auto V's just had an update, and that's meant that it's had a new lease of life for a, you know, getting on for ten years old game. But that's where I need to go. I need to start. I need to start listening. I need to. I need to educate myself. I, I, I do. It's a bit like one of those, you know, those situations where it's like I've not yeah. heard one of these found. You know, they're founders of, of the whole thing. That thing though with Tangerine Dream is just an important thing that's kind of often overlooked. Is that they did the soundtrack for GTA Five, and that GTA Five is the biggest selling entertainment product really of all time, and they are the they are the they've created the soundtrack there's lots of radio stations that play lots of you know other tunes but the soundtrack that goes with all the cutscenes and it's just throughout the whole thing is entirely done by tangerine dream and thorsten mentions that they provided 35 hours of music for that Jesus. but i mean it's just there's wow. something to you know, you know we talk about say michael jackson thriller or all these huge rumors fleetwood mac or whatever these huge selling albums but they pale into insignificance into sort of how many kind of copies gta 5 has sold so just sort of just putting that tangerine dream context in they did the soundtrack thorsten mentions oh yeah you only briefly see that at the in the opening credits after you play the game for a little bit triggers a little bit of a opening you see soundtrack by tangerine dream and then in the reams of credits at the end that go on for about 20 minutes uh but just they it is the primary soundtrack so i just wanted to mention that i just sorry to cut, mm. cut in there i just wanted to really mention yeah. that though because i think to recognize that they have done the soundtrack for the biggest selling product of all time music entertainment product yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you want to go check them out, they're in Europe, I think, at the moment. Uh, that's the Virgin to Quant from Virgin to Quantum Years Tour. Uh, I think, what's that, Thursday? Uh, oh, due, is June? Oh, no, they're, they're taking a bit of a break by the looks of things. So, uh, due, they're going in, is that Thursday, June? So, I can't see what the Amsterdam, Brussels. So, yeah. So, uh, there was a, they were in Europe for a little while, but uh, now they're taking a break and they'll be back at it, I'm, I'm assuming. But, yeah, thank you very much uh, to Gaz and Rich Alpin for 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 sorting that out for us. It was great. Uh, very much a foresight. So, yes, well done. Um, okay. Um, I think what I'm going to do now is just uh, because there's only one this week, I'm going to uh, bring up the, sub the, the subject of our friends over at Isotope who want to tell you a little bit about uh, their subscription service and all various other things. Too. Isotope Producers Club is a one-of-a-kind membership for producers ready to take their tracks to the next level. So, Thorsten, can we... Oh, beg your pardon. I'll start Isotope that again. Producers Club is a one-of-a-kind membership for producers ready to take their tracks to the next level. Once you join, you'll gain access to powerhouse Isotope plugins and a curated selection of tools from our partners, such as Melodyne from Celimony. Plus, as long as you're a member, you'll get every future update to the Isotope plugins in your membership for no extra cost. We'll also regularly serve you new curated content like exclusive inspiration-sparking sample packs and preset packs, and industry-leading training ranging from our own tutorials 
to vocal production lessons from the world-renowned Berkeley Online, taught by Grammy-winning producer and engineer, Prince Charles Alexander. With new content being added every month full of valuable production techniques, tips and tricks, and solutions to common production problems, becoming a member is an investment in your career that grows as you and your career do. For more information on Isotope Producers Club, head to isotope.com. And once again, of course, we thank them for their support. And uh, this was what I said. We've got a new landing page, a new landing page. Uh, if you use the code SONIC10 at checkout, you can claim 10% off. And I'm looking up here at the top. It says there's a flash sale. You can get Ozone 9 on Neutron 3 Standard for 79 bucks each. And as far wow. as I'm aware, you can count, you can apply that Sonic 10 and you can save an additional 10% on that. That's at least that's the way it's been all the way up through to now. So if you want to say get those for just over 70 bucks, that looks like a pretty good deal as far as I'm concerned. Um, so yeah, thank you very much to uh, Isotope for their continued support of the show. Very much pre. Uh, right, uh, what do we got next? Uh, new boss Echo Pen. This is actually very. It's kind of linked really to. Uh, to the whole tangerine doing that with tape echo. I mean, similar sort of, uh, it's a similar sort of era. So uh, we'll just throw this one in. Uh, these are new Boss Space Echo pedals. RE202, gosh, that's loud. The RE202, uh, which looks really nice. It really reminds me of the CE1 format, uh, which is old school. And there's also an RE2, which is more preset. This one's more hands-on and more in the vibe. I don't know who this band are. Uh, they play quite a long time, and it's pretty cool. But the, these look pretty good, actually. The RE202, of course, classic tape echo, very much in the pocket of uh, some of that early Tangerine stream stuff. I mean, lots of people swear by it. It's, it's not only that, but lots of dub, lots of reggae, lots of trip-hop. All uses that kind of stuff. The RE202, about 350 quid, I think, 120 memories. Uh, there's a preamp sim, a multiple reverb types, which are new, stereo in, stereo out, kind of a bunch of stuff. I mean, it's a bit of a classic, actually. And obviously, without the hassle of the tape, though, I wonder, you know, just, I, I'm sure they've worked terribly hard. I, I, I've i never owned a 201 or a 505 or any of those kind of, or was it a 505? Was, a, was the rec mount one, wasn't it? 501. Okay, fair enough. Have you ever had the tape echoes, Gaz, in person? No. No, uh, did have a, I've had a copycat, but not not a tape echo. Um, yeah, I mean these look great, don't they? I mean, like as you mentioned there, it looks like the CE1 uh, that ensemble pedal, uh, and I think that's a really nice um, nod to their past. But also, um, I think it shows uh, it, it shows they really have taken into account. I think what people want, offering them in the two formats, so you can kind of have that sound in the typical compact pedal yeah, form or have that one which will work nicely on a desktop and look good as well you know look sort of it's, it's definitely got that um appeal which i mean i think one of the things about the space echo that makes them so desirable is that iconic cool looking things aren't they um I was always disappointed uh, when I first, I always wanted one, a tape echo. And then when I first used one, I was always really disappointed how long the, how short the, the longest echoes can be on them. Um, with the copycat, I could do these really long ones. Um, but the sound is fantastic. And of course, the, it's the combo, isn't it, with the space echo that, that the spring reverb, um, yeah. gives that 
that that that tonality that's just uh, so classic. Uh, and that, it's interesting what uh, Boss have done here. They've kind of put all of the classic features um, forward facing, but you know you have got different reverb models and uh, it, that you can sort of switch in to kind of yeah, different uh, tape head, uh, tape, yeah, tape head configurations, yeah. and uh, um, yeah. An extra tape head as well, which is which is really cool. Um, I do have the uh, Strymon Volan Volante here, Volante, uh, which I really enjoy and is you know feels pretty convincing. But as everyone knows, when you've got a real tape echo and you can see the tape snaking through the device or you know on the top and uh, things like it, just it's yeah, just the glass top, the glass top on the uh, five hundred one. That's the thing I really like. That's just so cool, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, that's really good. Cool. Yeah, I just think they just feel exciting devices to use. But no, I mean, well done, I think, to uh, to Roland revisiting this because they did it sort of about what twelve years ago, maybe maybe a bit more, fifteen mm. years ago, with the dual pedal format, uh, and then whatever um, algorithm emulation of the Space Echo they were using then that was pretty good. Uh, but obviously, you know, we've seen sort of um, their yeah leaps and bounds. Come yeah, on. it's probably Zen. I imagine there's some Zencore stuff Zen going on in there. I mean, it's just, yeah, you know, well, or, was it Cosm well, there other thing, wasn't it? Not the, well, there are two sort of things that they're doing uh, is AIRD aired, I think, which is their um, modeling engine that's replaced Cosm, um, which mm. has been around for a very long time. So, um, and then what is it? Uh, what were the, uh, what's the, uh, the uh, IRAs based on? That was an, a, another sort of platform, wasn't it? Um, code. Uh, yes, I forget what ACB. Uh, yeah, so that all of that stuff. Well, uh, sorry to go on, but is should mean that these are going to be these will sound good. really, really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would hope so. I would hope so. I, I, Rich, I must admit, whenever I, I've I've been up against when I've been in, in the same room and tried to play with a, uh, a, an RE2, I remember vividly uh, when I was a kid, I was doing a demo at a, a studio and I was trying to use it. And I just remember it being incredibly sensitive. It would just go, the needle would, you know, the VU was incredibly coarse. So you'd kind of go, am I getting enough? And then it would just go wallop into the red and sort of bend the needle and you get that kind of ticking <laughs> sound. <laughs> I just couldn't get my head around it. And, and they've added uh, tape emulation and saturation and that kind of stuff, which is all all good, I guess, you know, to have all of that stuff at your uh, fingertips, as long as the emulations are good. But, uh, yeah. Well, to call it what they're calling it, they would pretty much have to do those things, the tape emulation and things of that nature, saturation. The, the original one didn't saturate all that wonderfully, in my opinion. I... I when I worked on Eddie Jobson's Green album, he was absolutely in love with the thing and played all his violin solos through it. And I got to see it inside and out and hear it every single day. And it was, um, my romance for it doesn't run perhaps as deep as some people because I have seen the inside of it and have had to serve it, you know, <laughs> see it serve it. But, but I think that what this highlights to me and the whole recent spate of boutique instruments, many of which you have reviewed to a gorgeous effect, um, is that clearly that at some point there was a corporate meeting in which they said, all right, we're going to remake all of our classic gear into a small format product that we can sell for less than X number of dollars before Behringer does or before somebody else does who who emulates right. classic gear 
So let's get our own classic year out in a nice small format package sounding great and working well before the market becomes saturated with other people's versions of our gear. And that seems to me to be what they're doing in the mm. synthesizer world now, in the effects world, um, and with the cloud, with making these things available in the cloud as well, in their cloud service. It's interesting. It's because, I mean, when they started all the cloud and the uh, – because uh, uh, we might get onto another story, which is, uh, again, similar kind of Zencore and, and, and DSP technology from Roland. Uh, it, you know, at the beginning, there's this massive resistance to it because it requires a sort of subscription of some kind or a kind of licensing which requires an ongoing thing. And many of us have been very resistant to that. But actually, it's sort of – as it becomes more and more the norm, there are advantages and disadvantages. But this, I mean, obviously, you just own a piece of hardware. And of course, because it's essentially a kind of custom DSP unit that you can presumably feed different firmwares into as they sort of improve or increase the the number of uh, reverb algorithms or you know the length of the tape or whatever you know the tape formulation i mean they can do all of that stuff i mean i don't know how 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 um how how roland are in terms of supporting that for how long they would i mean because they're going to move on but i mean the amount they've invested in this particular set of, of, of dsp code base maybe maybe we'll see it stick around for a bit longer because everything else has been somewhat more transitory whereas this feels like it's underpinning pretty much all of their new products so we'll 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 see i guess uh, but yeah it's available now uh, and uh, you can you can get it um if you wish um, now, I wasn't sure whether to go with this one next. I suppose we could, but just because it's, 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 it is kind of new and it's new news. So I'm going to hit, uh, now if I do this right, I'm just trying to remember if I, if I do that and then I do that. This is the news of Rhodes, um, basically Rhodes new headphones. The first time they've done headphones, which is kind of interesting. They've always been, you know, they, they really are pioneering and certainly in video mics and whatnot. The NTH100 uh, closed back headphone kind of designed really to, uh, to be comfortable, to be full featured. I mean, there's lots of little nifty little things in there. The way they're using the uh, the, the drivers, the way that they've added the, the kind of material around the ears to make it comfortable for long periods of time. Because obviously, if you're content creating or using headphones a lot, you want them to be comfortable. They're about 150 bucks, I think. Uh, another cool thing that I noticed about it is it's got a uh, a locking device for the actual head head. Band, so you could set it to be exactly the same, and it's never going to move. So you can have color coding things on it. You know, I mean, it's all just like I suppose nips and tucks when it comes to headphones. And from what I gather, I mean, I haven't used them yet. I haven't had a, a, an opportunity to try them. They seem to be pretty good. But it just sort of made me think. You know, this is actually kind of a fairly major shift for uh, Rode. Uh, we use the Rode Video Go mics, I think, in um, in our. Uh, uh, for, for our show stuff, and they are really good. So I'll be interested to see how these can sound. I don't think they've done any other headphones, but it could be that they're going to increase some more. Do you, uh, are you wear in ears a lot, Rich, I guess? So that's probably what you've got with you just for portability. Do you, do you have over ears? Do you use those, or do you kind of tend to stick with, you know, you've got your in ears, they're tailored for you, you, you know how they work, so why use anything else? Um, for my purposes, rarely do I need over-the-head type headphones um, in the work that I'm doing. If I'm in a large studio doing basic tracks with other live players, then typically, yes, you'll wear the headphones that the studio is providing or you'll bring your own. 
I have a pair that I like by Blue, which is also a microphone. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. The the fact that people who deal in dynamic transducers for a living decide to move either from microphones to headphones or in the other direction is not a surprise because they're essentially uh, very similar devices. So that isn't surprising. And Rode seems to be making some serious ahem, inroads into uh, their microphone world and uh, being doing very well and being featured as on no less a distinguished uh, podcaster than Nick that um, so i think that i oh, yeah. think that it's very possible that these will be wonderful but of course you don't know until you've heard them actually uh, i should say that i'm not using the road anymore i'm using the uh the heil pr40 as my main mic uh, i've got the road well, well, at none home. of us could tell but, uh, yeah well <laughs> that, that's a good thing right I, I, I'm not... <laughs> but uh, yeah no i agree it's interesting I, I wouldn't mind trying them out i mean for me again once you once you go to in-ears because we i use headphones here you know and i i don't want to be sitting with a pair of headphones on on camera so much if i don't have to and certainly in trade shows these are brilliant because they're small i just take them off i it also in a trade show environment when i'm monitoring in the camera I'm also able to, uh, you know, mask some of the sound because they're in my ears. And you get the same thing, but it's interesting. I mean, for tracking and whatnot, over ears definitely make more sense. Um, I'd be interested to try this out, Gaz. I mean, have you got any Rode mics? Do you use any Rode stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was always interesting seeing how, you know, Rode first made their name, didn't they, with their NT1, I think, you know, which was unbelievable for the value for money for a big, large diaphragm that kind of got somewhere in the ballpark of a U87, but, you know, maybe quite far field, but but still that kind of thing. It was astonishing. And for the price uh, back in the 90s, I guess, they were – so lots of us, lots of my friends, you know, we all, we all you know, they were – they made kind of quality mics that quite – affordable a brilliant you know but then seeing them road started to then embrace more the um the the camera market and everything along those kind of lines uh so seeing them now bringing out a pair of headphones uh well they've got they've got that market now i think yeah really interesting but i mean speaking it's of over here, isn't it? yeah i think so yeah these are new for me these are hi-fi man um sundera and they are um they're my first ever pair of planar headphones so um, they're very slim so what does that mean is it is it like a kind of electrostatic sort of thing going on yes. almost or yeah yeah and um you know they are quite similar to like the orders sort of uh you know um large circular ones um I think I need to, oh well when it's plugged into the Steinberger interface behind me then it it that drives them really nice and the SSL does as well drives them really nicely uh what I've got them plugged into at the moment uh not so much but when you use planars and you drive them well they're really interesting to to do work on. I did a whole bunch of uh, edits of uh, some live performances and mixes. I, I did a bunch of I did a bunch of mixes with them, um, and then I listened back to the mixes on speakers, and I was really pleased because I when I was doing the mixes, I was thinking, God, these things feel um, incredibly open, and I could really hear small adjustments that I was making. Uh, obviously. 
you've always got to take into account the, the weird stereo. But I was mostly working in mono, so that, that was all cool. But um, really interesting uh, plain art. So I'm just, I'm just having my own little plain oh, art sort of journey yeah. at the moment. I'm not, I'm not trying them. I've not tried them. I, I, like I say, I, I, I st- I've now stick with in-ears. They just sort of work. And, the, you know, once I discovered I could buy a, a cheap pair on, you know, I've got a pair of, I've got some nice monitors. We've got some Adam Audio, and we've got the Genelec. So you know, if I need to hear something in more detail, then I would do that. But you know, just in terms of operational, I mean, they become right. headphones have almost become utilitarian, haven't they? Um, and, and, and certainly in the in the domestic environment, they have become a fashion accessory. You know, the the notion of the Beats and it's like if a skull candy and that whole thing, which they weren't necessarily fantastic headphones, but they had a real sort of it's like sneakers. You know, there's just it's the, if it's the right <laughs> brand, you're wearing the right brand, and you know yeah. that's part. Of the uniform of your clan or whatever that's totally fine you know but they've become right. this sort of thing that have become you know is like buds and i use I mean, uh, I, the only other ones i use yeah sorry go well a lot of people in the you know doing um foley work you know out in the field or whatever um and using road products you know uh, I, I, they've got it's a, it's it's quite remarkable it's taken them this long isn't it really i think that's the that's the yeah, I suppose you're right. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a fair yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, check them out. 104. I think they're about 150, not 150 bucks, 120 pounds. I might get in touch with them because we do have occasional kind of uh, connections with Road, and it would be interesting to see. Maybe I'll yeah. get uh, I'll get get them for panelists, and we can do like we did with Blue that time, where everybody got to try them, and we all got it's like a group review, and it worked quite well actually. So maybe I could talk them into it, and we can uh, I can blag some swag for our panelists. <laughs> Those blues fell to bits on me, though. They they absolutely just all the black stuff just all peeled off, and uh, they ended up being. They're very tight as well, weren't they? Were they? They sounded fantastic, but they were quite tight. tight. They're not. I yeah. don't like to wear them for very long periods of time. They kind of clamp your head a little bit. But I mean, I guess that's part of that because with any headphones, if you push them in a little yeah. harder, you get a be- you get more low end, you get a better kind of fuller sound. So yeah, but. Uh, they were quite groundbreaking at the time. I mean, it must have been oh, yeah. nearly 10 years they ago. Now. They did sound amazing. Um, okay, right. Um, let's get on to, uh, let's see, this guy. So this is, I'm gonna go, this is another Roland thing, because I, I I was kind of flacked quite heavily for not covering this at the time, and I, and I can't believe, I, well, I told you I was ill, so maybe that's Hi, the reason. Hi, I'm why. Andy from Roland, and this is Phantom O. So this is the new Phantom 06, 07, 08. A kind of like basically uh, approximately half the price of the base Phantom. Inheriting the sound, the workflow, and the ease of The Phantom 6, regular 6, is about 2,600, and this 6 is 1,249. So they've, they, it's like the, uh, I suppose it's like the Modi X to the Motif, if you like. I mean, it seems like a very smart Phantom move. Phantom O has an easy to use and intuitive user. 16 power multi-timbral. You get obviously uh, 61 key. I think it's 72 key and 88 key. No aftertouch, but velocity. And on the 8, you get the sort of ivory action. 16 part, you get multi-powered sampler with 2 gigs. Two lots of stereo out, 16 channel, stereo audio USB. So very much kind of... Dedicated filter controls and 16 performance pads. Phantom O features our latest expandable... This actually, I think this actually looks pretty good for the price, and it makes a lot of sense. I remember I did some work on the Modi X, or work. I mean, we had one in for a while, and I did some sort of jams on it. And I, I was, I was trepidatious of the. I, I find workstations a bit intimidating because it's. I think I have to kind of learn this whole new workflow. But by all accounts, what I hear, Phantom workflow is actually very slick and very. Uh, 
easy. It's 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 uh, what do they call it? Single mode, isn't it? So you don't have to kind of move around so much. I guess, Rich, you might have experience of this because you did you or you are going to see see Roland or have seen Roland, but you use Roland stuff for live uh, the pianos at least. Have you have you played with the Phantom series at all? I mean, does this look interesting? I mean, it looks lightweight and affordable. That's for sure. Well, that's funny. What I just read. Um, last week we played a gig in Bogota, Colombia, that we were going to discuss anyway, and they were unable to source one of my two keyboards, and instead I ended up with a Phantom G, I believe it was called. The thing is, it probably is G because it's gigantic, and it weighs seventy-five pounds. On on the uh, also not the stand we requested. It was kind of it was amazing that it even held it. But um, this instrument really caught my fancy, and I'm going to go see them tomorrow and oh. play one. Because I think that this might, I might have a future with this instrument. And uh, there's a lot I really like about it. And it does a lot of really cool things that I don't even need, but they're just very impressive. I watched in a demo video them take a, uh, a folder of source samples and the thing basically laid out a keyboard patch in 15 seconds. Um, which I thought was amazing. It does uh, work with Roland Cloud in a way that allows you to download Roland Cloud-based instruments to this thing and use them on stage. And that is also very appealing. Um, and the demonstration that they had was playing a Juno 106 bass from the thing, and it sounded awesome in the demo video. Um it seems to be organized around live performance really effectively in the ways that the original Phantoms were as well, and I kind of like that about it. And uh, it's light, it's less expensive, and it does about 80 or 90% of what the big one does. So I think it's really a cool product, and I'm looking forward to playing one it's interesting isn't it the idea that uh, i mean i guess the same with the, the sort of yamaha workstations the road these high-end workstations they're they're built to tour they're built to be higher stock i guess and they're built to kind of whereas obviously there must be some compromises made in the, the zero series or O as they call them uh, um just purely because they're so much cheaper so i mean i i guess there must be less construction you know they must must be less durable or whatever there must be some reason they're not as affordable because otherwise why would you why would you make them you know why would you make the other ones so much more expensive maybe it's the key bed i guess the key bed's probably got something to do with it but it looks like a lot of the other stuff is pretty much the same it, it, better, right, it better not be the yeah. key bed because that's the thing i'm counting on well you probably we'll need out. to go for the the 88 or the 76 i would imagine just because no, the 88 the 61, i'm, gonna, I'm 88. Right. 88. It's not even a conversation with me. It's 88. Uh, Wagyu says in the chat room, uh, it's half the processors, two BMC chips instead of four. Uh, okay. that's That makes sense. So I guess you maybe have slightly less effects parameters, maybe less uh, uh, chain effects or that kind of thing, maybe less polyphony. That would make sense. I guess, I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I, neither you or I are particularly workstation people, and I've been uh, heavily flacked uh, for not <laughs> mentioning any workstations, but I feel yeah. like, I, I felt I should this time. This looks kind of fun. When you, sometimes when you play with these things and you kind of think, oh, this is what I've been missing all this time, because I think the thing is I'm still kind of got the mentality 
mentality of workstations back when I used to use O1Ws and, and things which were much less advanced than they are these days. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Uh, workstations have advanced to such an unbelievable level. I mean, for me, one of my first sort of synth journeys really was with my friends, uh, Dale's Korg M1. Uh, and that was an, inc- that was just a, like the game changer that was, that was, um, uh, and that was, you know, it was incredible being able to make all the music on it yourself and have effects as well, all this kind of thing. So that, that, the M1 is the birth of the workstation really, isn't it? You know, um, many ways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, many and ways. then, and then it evolved Inside. and then through the 90s, uh, oh, really? oh yeah. And so- Rich is in there with the end Sonic. Yeah. That's a fair point. Hey. SQ80. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, but then as they moved through the 90s, uh, adding more and more sort of complexity became uh, became sort of de rigueur until the, these things were super, as you mentioned, very intimidating, just like crazy workflows. Um, but Roland and Yamaha, I mean, Yamaha's recent Modi X's and other, uh, and their uh, montages and, you know, absolute fabulous machines. They sound um, fantastic, as I'm do, sure these do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think for people who stuck with that work, yeah, that um, workstation um, world, I guess, you know, are, are in hog heaven now, aren't they? I mean, it really is, uh, <laughs> you know, these things are better than they've ever possibly been. For me, I've, I, I, I'm really torn by these kind of things. To actually own one, I think it would be just, you know, a, a, a delightful thing to have. But <sighs> this room is crazy amount of stuff here. To have a phantom, I think, would just make the whole place just explode. It's just there's just way too much. F- um potential going on and a workstation is just the potential in a workstation alone is is just it's almost too much um but i'd be really curious to hear what complete tracks are being made on these modern workstations uh, i'd be really interested to hear someone who's doing and to see if it still sounds like a keyboard demo or if it sounds like a fully produced well yeah i mean to be fair i mean uh, in the defense i mean i did some stuff on the modi x and i felt it was really useful for writing i could get you know 80% 80% of the vibe I was going for, uh, you know, there would be some drums that I might swap out later or I might change a bass line or whatever, but there was enough kind of goodness there to be able to build and and flesh out a big song. I mean, it's interesting. You see, you know, there, there's all these uh, uh, videos of, uh, of, of really sort of big songwriter, uh, Nashville songwriter stars and, you know, who just write on Tyros, for instance, you know, which is the, the auto accompaniment kind of home organ thing or, or uh, presumably on things like that, they just build the song in that and then they break it out, maybe get a band to play certain parts. I mean, that's the thing. I, I think if, like with anything, if you've got everything coming from the same source that so there's going to be a certain amount of homogenous going on even with the amount of flexibility right. it's just because it's the same same onboard effects or the same the same stuff but to fill to use them to fill a large amount of space in in within a band where maybe you need to have some playback some sample trigger some you know they're absolutely invaluable i would i wouldn't necessarily consider wanting to you know, build an entire album on one exclusively, if or a track perhaps. Although, I mean, it surely must happen. 
But yeah, yeah. anyway, sorry. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of that felt like a bit of a rant, but I don't think it was meant to be. Uh, yeah, shame well, there's no aftertouch, but I think the fact that yeah. it, it links with cloud, links with these, I'll be interested to see how you get on with it, Rich, and whether it really kind of uh, floats your boat. Be, I, I hope so, because uh, I think it would probably be, certainly for what you do live, it's going to be, you know, very useful, you, right? Yeah. Can hope you add so. audio tracks to it? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, can you add audio tracks? Yeah, you get two gigabytes of sample playback, and I don't know if it'll do stems, but two gigs of sample playback could mean that you could presumably have, you know, some sort of stem-based playback. I don't know whether it would work in terms of song pointers where you can pick up where you left off or whether it has to trigger at the start, like the uh, MC, oh, God, the Freight, no, I can't, what was it? The one I, Fret 77, I forgot what it was, the one I reviewed, which did have clips and launches, but it has a weird memory structure a little bit. Not the 707, the one after that, was it the Phrase Lab? Oh, yeah, I forget. The, 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 you could write song, yeah, that thing, what's it called? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So... Uh, the, you, you know, with the, what is the polyphony of this new phantom? I think it's probably 128, but I'd have to check that. Uh, does it say right. here? Uh, the specs somewhere, I'm sure. So oh, man, the reason why I'm asking that, though, when we were like, you know, if you follow on from the point I was making earlier about, you know, how the M1 and, and N-Sonic or whatever grew polyphony was going up and up and up but now in, in a way it could have gone off in a particular direction where it could host just countless amounts of sound engines and offer a thousand voices of polyphony hasn't gone right. that way i imagine there must be a ceiling as there i mean you know with with if you've got 32-bit dsp processing in it and you've got I don't know, 64 voices. I, I, you know, the amount of dynamic range you get and the amount of summing that you'll put if, you, if you're going up to, you know, past 128, it's got, there's going to be mush, presumably. You would end up if you're coming all coming out of the same DSP. I don't know enough about this, frankly, so I'm probably just shooting rubbish. But <laughs> I guess Rich will know tomorrow. We'll have to ask him. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that one in there. Um, I think there was uh, there was a, one other. Now, I, we've got a couple of topics. I might throw this one in here just purely because it's a bit of fun and I've got a video to play. So uh, let's just throw this Okay. Up. So I'm just here. Uh, I've got Banlag song, song, song Starter. I'm going to enter a lyric idea and I'm going to go with uh, Gazebo. This is uh, what uh, Tom and Beardy Man went for. So let's get it to generate ideas. So now it's obviously going off and doing its AI neural network. This is basically just an online part of the BandLab um, uh, studio, which is a really useful sort of online DAW. And this just generates an idea generator, which sounds incredibly cheesy and can cheesy, be But we can change the sort of mood of it with... I mean, yeah, this is awful, to be honest. But let's try again. Uh, sorry, we'll do Gazebo again, actually. Uh, gazebo again. Let's go. So, assuming we actually got something that we liked, I mean, let's pretend that this next thing is going to be maybe sparking an idea. Uh, we'll then be able to open it in BandLab Studio. Yeah, I think what I did is I got okay, the idea is you generate this kind of melodic, studio. melodic idea. So now it takes what it just made and turns it into. So I've got you know these these are my audio interfaces. This is based in the browser. So 
Yeah, so the idea really is it, it, it's just a kind of game of chance, but you can influence it with a certain amount of lyrical input. I, th this was actually in the same uh, we. Um, the same episode where we did the thing with uh, Tom and Beardy Man, where they just sort of made this kind of hyper pop track out of a few words. And the idea with this really was not so much as a uh, as a as a way to start to finish tracks and and that, but just a way to start them. The idea of using AI to kind of just throw a bunch of ideas you go because there might be a single element of melody in there that you went yeah, and then and then build on it. And I think I built something a little bit later in the song in the video where I built some more out of it. And I just thought it's an interesting idea because this this is all free stuff. This is you know. Band Lab, and I'm sure there are other versions of it, but I just thought it was kind of an interesting thing. I'll I'll come to you first, Gaz. I mean, because you know, very much on the improvisational scale of composition, you know, that's sort of how a lot of your stuff comes together in the moment. Do you think yeah. that something like this might actually just give you a a a, a start a, a springboard, I suppose, more than randomizing your patch or anything else? Or how do you feel about the art, the concept, yeah. I suppose? I think I just want to break it somehow, you know, just sort of right. try and get it. Trying to make it you want to get it to swear. <laughs> yeah, make sick, weird sort of things. In a way, when I was hearing what it was generating, I was thinking, oh my God, this is like a, like a disc, like a, like, you know, crimes against the, t you know, music taste generator. Um, so straight away, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about thinking, what could I do to make it? really unpleasant and really disharmonic you know mm. uh that's just me and i'm a bit that's odd. interesting but, uh, <laughs> but i do really like the way you can just instantly sort of boom drop it into the band lab uh daw and uh we have mentioned band lab a few times and it is quite um bonkers of what they are offering as a free thing it's very easy just yeah. to you know We've got our sophisticated. Well, there's there's a few of these things. There's also Amp Studio as well, which does the same. The only problem with all of these things is the latency from playthrough to to something happening. So if you plug a MIDI keyboard in and you're playing, you know, the latency because it's in the browser is just it's too much. It's the problem. Mm, yeah, that that's that. Well, you know, I've said it before, but latency is the is the condom of music technology. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. I would I would suggest that as a show title, but I feel it might be a little contentious. But uh, yeah, that, I know. I mean, I, I'm I'm full aware, fully aware that really I'm I'm kind of like pitching this to two people who are have creative brains and would probably find this an anathema. I mean, I think the thing is, is when there are lots of, you know, because quite often I might throw together loads of little four-bar ideas, you know, and never finish any of them. And this kind of almost leapfrogs a little bit of that. So I just kind of go, yeah, that sounds all right. And then I might start, I'll strip most of it out, revoice it or whatever, but it might give me a kind of idea of a counterpoint between what the bass is doing and what something's doing on the top and go, oh, that's interesting, but I'd make it go in a different direction. Does, do you find it... In terms of creativity aiding, do you need anything like that in your life, or is it? Are you happy always with what you come up with? Do you feel like you could you you can rely on your own imagination to always be able to sort of kickstart something? That yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that yes, that right. With, if I, okay. look, 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 if I ever reach a point where in order to create musical inspiration, I have to use somebody else's idea, I'm in the wrong business. 
I know that's going to sound horribly elitist to some people who didn't study music, and I'm sorry to hear that. But uh, the fact is, um, I am never underestimating the lengths people will go to to avoid actually learning music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. I think the thing, but, but I think the thing is, is and the thing that I find is, is I, I tend to feel. I mean, I, I I know just enough to be to be dangerous you know i don't know that much uh, but so therefore what tends to happen is i because i don't know that much i tend to fall into the same habits every time so something like this might kind of go have you thought go, about doing this that's the no? go be dangerous <laughs> then <laughs> if that's what it is go be dangerous okay. whatever it's more <laughs> about you doing it that's yeah the, po the point is it's more about the the person and in the you in it then what exactly you're doing what exactly you're using is if it's you creating it that's to me the important thing yeah okay well unsurprisingly i i, I don't think this topic was uh, sparked off the, the reaction i thought I, I had something in my head when i first wrote it down and i can't remember what it is now and i obviously didn't convey it very well <laughs> uh, i um just sort of I guess connected to what we we're just talking about about um like music theory and learning it and, and so how actually you know and that got me thinking about things i've just been listening to and and, and I, I just wanted to give a little shout out to brad meldow's new album has got these kind of new ver new arrangements of some cl classic prog material like cogs in cogs there's a multi-part suite based in Cog cogs and cogs and um the last part of Starship Trooper by Yes. Now I mention this because like Brad Meldow is one of he's one of the great contemporary jazz musicians. And there's a cover version of Tom Sawyer. And I urge everyone to have a little listen to that because it's really, really interesting. They've kind of taken a the the first half of it or it is really surprisingly true to the original. And then when the original launches into the guitar solo, then it just goes into something um, that's... Uh, uh, the reason why I mention this is that sort of like maybe, you know, Rush were not like jazzers and maybe their musical um, dimension wasn't sort of like jazz voiced or whatever, but taking like a very contemporary jazz musician like Brad Meldow and mushing it all together has given a very, very interesting result. Sorry, just if that's, but if that, I, honestly, check it out. It's quite funny. There's some really interesting. Brad Meldow, what's, what's it called? What's, what's, I'm going to post uh, the link. I'm trying to find Brad Meldow. The song, Brad Meldow. The, Tom, the song is called Tom Sawyer. It's a Rush song. It's on his new album. It's the name of the new album, I suppose. Uh, what is that? Let me just look it up. Um, but just, I just thought it was. Oh, there we go. I found it. I'm going to post it. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I'll post it. Yeah. I'm going to post it in the chat. There we go. Yeah. Worth it. Well, worth it. Okay. All right. Well, no, thank you very much for uh, bringing something interesting out of that rather dead end topic I, I brought in. <laughs> I, I don't know if there was any other, any other, uh, um, any other stuff. Oh, th this, I thought this was kind of fun, actually. I mean, it, I think Music Messer now has, uh, I think they announced that they've kind of cancelled. This was in, uh, and I, I found a video from Music Messer from 2017, which I think was one of the last times we went. Okay. So then. I'll play this. So, so it feels um, like the end of it. This was the room that we had, room 303 that they put us in, which was very touching. We had our own little office. Uh,
temperamental, uh, so just we're starting office, off if I in post the office at Music Mount. If I move over, the size and the scale of this, that side of things, of this was astonishing, and the fact that it's gone or is no longer. Um, that's the front of it. Then we're going to go, and then all the way down there is. I think they might be sort of just as amazing to me, and it kind of made me think a little bit about. Um, the transient nature of it and how I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm so looking forward to going to Superbooth. I'm missing these kind of events. I miss the ability to be able to go and hang out with a bunch of people who are all into the same thing. I mean, gigs are amongst the few remaining options that we have for that because there aren't, the, 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 especially with trade shows that are perhaps less, less uh, encompassing than kind of, you know, domestic electronics or whatever. And I just thought, A, that was sad news, and B, um, what, are, what are we going to do about it? Um, Rich, I remember we met uh, at NAM that time you came to NAM. It was great. I mean, it was really nice, and it's great to be with somebody in that, in that kind of environment where you can be 100% focused on the stuff that you're into. And there's, there's just these opportunities, I think, are really becoming harder to come by and i feel kind of quite sad about that to a degree are they or are they just fractional uh you know sort of fractionally i don't know how to say what i want to say uh, slicing up into smaller pieces right the more niche. Being cut amongst yes a larger number of niche type of convention slash festival type activities that was great at nam when we were together that was a lot of fun and uh the most interesting thing about that NAM was that uh, Sheik was playing like giant concerts all year, the year before, and nobody was waiting to talk to me about Sheik, but everybody was waiting to talk to me about Sonic Talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Like lines of people waiting to talk to me about Sonic Talk. Nobody asks about Sheik, which doesn't bother me in the least. I just think it's really interesting. Well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, that is the heart of uh, NAM and the shows like this uh, is essentially the, the the heart and the essence of what we're about. So, I mean, it was it's unsurprising that people would perhaps know of uh, of what we do in a place like that, um, but particularly because when you're a trade, you know, everybody's in a band, everybody's got something going on. I mean, they're all not as big and successful as the one you're playing in, but it's it's still it's it, it it's less uh, it's less usual perhaps than um, than. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I suppose it's it's like the the difference is what we're doing or what we have done with Sonic is is more is even more niche than chic, so which isn't niche at all. I'm not making very much sense, but yeah, I think I understand. But it was great fun, and I'm missing that. I mean, Nam is potentially happening in June second this year. I mean, so far the problem we've got is you know it's two weeks after Superbooth, and we don't know who's going to be there. I mean. So far, we're not getting an awful lot of people saying, yeah, we're exhibiting. In fact, we heard a lot of people aren't. So I'm not sure what shape it will be. And it will be a real shame that that experience isn't happening this year. Hopefully, it might come back. I don't know. I mean, but I don't know what the future is because I think we've all become somewhat risk averse unless we have to. A lot of companies now are saying there's a ban on international travel still because obviously, you know, COVID is, is quite high. It's still The risk of it is still very high in a lot of places, even though that maybe the risk of death is less in some places as well. It's still a risky business and companies don't want to expose their employees. So I don't know how we get around that. I know, Gaz, I mean, I know you're trying to get to Superbooth. I mean, it's one of the highlights, right? It's, and it's, it feels like it's the last one, you know, the, not the last show, but the, the last type of show that we can 
we can get to well, us as Europeans. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to know how Superbooth broke away from Music Messer and has managed to sort of I'd Messer it, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've we got to support them. Superbooth, everybody really, I think, has a moral obligation to get their skinny butts, or not so skinny butts, over to Superbooth. Mm. <laughs> support I, well, it. I, so, I, if you can. I mean, I appreciate there is reasons, but uh, it is, as an event, that one really needs supporting to keep that alive. It is such an important and brilliant thing for the community on so many levels. Um, and the cooperation that takes place between different manufacturers is just is astounding. It really, I think, it's so healthy and, and nourishing for our scene. So, yeah, support it if you can. You know, super booth, get there if you can. If just for a day, like me, I think I'm just trying to work out the logistics of the flight because it's like trying to join a tour, sort of a meet. You know, flying to the tour and it's so risky. But I want to be there. I want to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I think the thing about Superbooth is, I mean, Nam, Nam has a, a different kind of energy. Superbooth is more, more of a kind of feels more DIY and less corporate, which uh, I think people enjoyed. Uh, and that was the thing. I mean, I think the thing about Music Messer, it became bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until the point where it was actually very expensive to attend and not very vibey because it was all about volume. And uh, the, I mean, I people don't remember, but Superbooth, uh, sorry, uh, Music Messer. The site of Music Mesa is probably four or five times the size of Nam. I mean, it is no absolutely way. enormous. Have you never been, Gaz? Honestly, no. uh, there are 11 halls and all of them have, you know, many of them have two floors. And, you know, the first year I went to Music Mesa, I was carrying a, a shoulder bag with a laptop in it. And I must have, uh, and I did my back in because it was so far. In the end, we realized that there was a bus you know, you get the bus from Hall Hall X to Hall Y or whatever it is because it was so, so far away. It's astonishing. No. And it was a great – it was one of – you know, it, it was massive and really vibey, and it just – it's been so sad to see. I mean, I think it was going – you know, obviously it was on the, on the way out before this whole COVID thing. But uh, I don't want I'm to not... see that happen to any more shows. I want more no. shows. I want the shows to be there. Anyway. Yeah, so uh, Nam is so exciting in its vibrancy and all everything that goes on outside and all everything. You know, it's really noisy and uh, colourful. I did manage to find a place at Nam where, as in one direction, as far as I could, I couldn't see like the end, and when I looked in the opposite direction, I couldn't see the end. So it's it, that's pretty vast at Nam. So wow. Um, but yeah, Nam looks like it's going to be pretty good though this summer. Though I think in terms of uh, in terms of maybe the auxiliary things that are going on. So if there's not so many prod, um, product launches or, or the like mm. going on, um, you know, so uh, like a big part of Nam is all of the um, like uh, other things that happen, the concerts and the um, talks. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so true. I think, I think like that I sort of side of that. things. Yeah, I think again. I think that. Um, yeah, hmm. I might go. I might go to Nam. Yeah, well, well that would yeah. be worth knowing. Uh, Rich, yeah. are you? Are you? You're not going to be in Europe for uh, May, are you? By any chance, fancy a trip to Berlin? <laughs> Woo! Second, <laughs> yes. second half. Second half of May is when we come over uh, and start going 
crazy. And some of it's back and forth across the oceans and some of it. I don't, when is music massive? Uh, what did you say? Super? Uh, I'm sorry. 11th, 11th, 12th of May. 12th of May for two days. No, I won't be here on the, you know, I won't be here on the 12th of May. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Never mind. I'd love to get you to there because, uh, I mean, like Mesa was great, but but Frankfurt is is a pale shadow of what Berlin has to offer, shall we say, <laughs> or different. Depends what you're into, I suppose. But uh, Berlin is a great. Anyway, uh, I was just it, it's just you know it's a sad it's a sad day that Music Mesa that uh, you know didn't didn't make the make it and became smaller and smaller and it's a, still a massive hall they do lots of stuff there but just not that they're still doing pro, pro light and sound which is more to do with sound reinforcement and the big stuff you know the big show things where they use the big halls to put put all those systems in place so it's still got a purpose but it just feels a little you know it's a bit of a shedding a tear for all those great years we used to spend at music Mesa. anyway um we're probably t at the end of the show i feel like we've made it um thank you very much everybody thanks to all of the the chatties and everybody in the uh, the chat rooms uh, there's the restream there's the IRC there's the discord and there's Facebook live and twitch and all of those places that we stream as well but rich thank you so much for joining us I hope you have a great time uh, Roland tomorrow and uh, enjoy the phantom the fan they're calling it the phantom o but it's definitely a zero so I don't know kind of what's going on there have a word see if you can get them to change the branding so it sounds a bit more <laughs> a bit more <laughs> on the case and I hope you have a great gig. They should Thank do a you. Keita where, where, version called Flan Flinger, shouldn't they? A Keita. The, the, flan the, the, flan the Flantum. The Flantum. <laughs> the Phantom Flan Flinger. And have like, the, have, have like a kind of like saucepan headstock as well. That, that would be my advice okay, to them. Okay, yeah. So you could, for pancakes. <laughs> yeah, that could work. I think that's a good idea. Anyway, Rich, I, and I hope you have a great gig. I hope you have a great gig. Um, Thank you. And it's a pleasure time, always. And guys. you're... You're around for a little while, so maybe we'll get a chance to, to hook up. That would be really good. Fantastic. We will. And Gaz, thank you very much for joining us too. You're going to be uh, streaming tonight. Have you yeah, form why not? formulated any kind of notion of what that's going to involve yet, or are you just going to wing <laughs> well, it? Well, in front of me, I've got the uh, tracker connected ah, the tracker. to the... Let's see what I've got it connected to. I'm just unplugging, so, so it's currently not connected... Using ah, the tracker okay. as a MIDI sequencer, uh, driving the Nanobox. Um, and it's quite interesting because the Nanobox is eight voices and you've got eight, tra eight tracks on the tracker. So, um, you know, it's quite a sort of, uh, it's quite interesting. You can do some quite quirky <laughs> stuff and you can put CC values, albeit only two per cell. But I'm messing around trying to put in different cells different CC values. So they're all addressing the same uh, synth, but um, like, so yeah, eight, eight tracks, eight MIDI notes, and then two CC notes per eight. track. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some exploring. <laughs> yeah. It's fun, Seriously. actually, that the, 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 the Polyon Tracker is really interesting because people who've never used trackers like me, when I first hmm. saw it, I was like, oh my goodness, I just do not connect with this at all. And then once I got into it, because the hardware is so, it's such a beautiful piece of hardware. It's very sort of OP-like yeah. in, in, the, in the quality feel of the hardware. Yeah. And the, uh, the performance mode is the really cool bit. If you get, oh, that's just cool. such a brilliant... Yeah, yeah, really cool. So, like, 
in in this case, you see, you can because on the performance mode, you've got lots of different parameters that you can um, af- affect in real time of any pattern. Yeah, a snapshot. Uh, you can change. You can change. You've got. Uh, you can actually take track one from pattern one and play track two from um, pattern two. So you can you can sort of jam which tracks from different patterns play together and uh i've not really seen that on anything else um no it's a very unique workflow yeah well uh, good luck good luck uh, good luck streaming that live and explaining what's going on uh, uh, while running this streaming the stream while running a show and trying to figure out how to use it i mean you know uh, kudos to you if you could pull that off i'm sure Uh, you know however that i won't but uh we can certainly try (laughs) (laughs) anyway chaps lovely to have you like i say thanks to everybody in the chat rooms and the discords and all of that stuff in fact i should probably do a quick plug if you want to join us on patreon uh you feel free we've uh, posted up a few samples from the um the rumble of ancient times there's a few other bits and pieces we're, we're slowly putting up some of that uh, archive material i spent a couple of days digging out from various different shows there's a load of music mess of stuff up there which i'll put up as well uh, if you want to join us that would be most appreciated but anyway thanks everybody and i'll just switch to our final screen uh, chaps that was uh, sonic talk uh for 708 wasn't it see you all next time take care bye bye now